brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. My name is T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate you tuning in. Remember, audio-only versions of our episodes go up every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on your favorite podcasting platforms out there, iTunes, Amazon Music, wherever you got, you can find us on there. And if you're seeing this handsome face, that means you're watching us on YouTube. Video versions of the episodes go up at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time every Wednesday night. So you can check the show out however you want to. But of course, I want you to watch the video version because uh, there's a little bit more me in there now. Uh, But I digress. Yeah, new episodes every Wednesday night. Audio-only version at 8 p.m. Video version at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And of course... You got to follow us on all of our channels that we have out there, including Twitter. You can find me at AXDEW, uh, Instagram, Theron underscore Reynolds. The YouTube page is youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. And then, of course, the Facebook group where we have great conversations is facebook.com slash group slash T Scary Movie. Again, that's facebook.com slash group slash T Scary Movie. Get to the Facebook group. That's where you can find out about our watch parties that we do. We do watch parties every Wednesday night before and after the show. Usually they're going to have something in there that we're talking about on the show. So, for example, tonight we're watching the 2005 film Cursed. And we're going to do a little bit of our TV watch party as well. But if you want to find out how to join, got to go to the Facebook group. Yes, the Discord link is right there. That's where we watch everything. So you could just go directly to the Discord. But if you want to have some fun conversation, get to the Facebook group. And have that with us as well, too, now. So, I already kind of mentioned what we were watching in the watch party. And that should let you know what we have coming up in tonight's episode. Yes, folks, that's right. Werewolf Madness begins. We're going to be looking at the 2022 werewolf movie, The Cursed. Followed by the 2005 werewolf thriller, Cursed. Two entirely different and separate movies. Both about werewolves, though. Uh, We're checking that out here tonight on the show. But... Before we get into that, I want to make sure y'all know, I told you last week on the show, actually, I guess I told you uh, the week before that as well, too, uh, that I was going to be giving away two copies of Scream 2022 or Scream 5 or 5 Cream, whatever you want to call it, basically. I was giving away two copies of that, a digital copy as well as a physical copy to two of you who were following me on Twitter and that you shared the episode as well. Uh, Yeah, so I'm reaching out to you guys right now. Uh, So check your messages because you might have a message from me there for a free copy of Scream 5. Yeah. And even more so before we start talking uh, werewolf movies tonight, we had a great conversation in the Facebook group about our favorite movie theater candy. I, of course, posted a photo of Caramel Apple Sugar Babies, which are so, so, so good. Uh, They're my favorite. They can't really get them in theaters anymore. They're very, very limited. Um, So the only place I've been able to get them these days has been Amazon. But y'all had some great ideas there for movie theater candy. Uh, Of course, a few of you were saying Red Vines, which is also the pinnacle for me there. Red Vines are so good. I absolutely uh, uh, put those synonymous with movie theaters uh, because that's always what I would get. Those and nachos always be whatever I get, but nachos aren't candy. Some of y'all put down uh, Reese's Pieces were on there. Milk Duds were there, which Milk Duds are just uh, the regular size uh, sugar babies at that. 
Uh, I saw Reese's Pieces on there as well. Sour Patch Kids. Y'all had a lot of good stuff. Raisin Netzler, a popular one, uh, which is insane, man. I love that we're all kind of over the spectrum. What kind of movie theater candy that we all enjoy. I just wish that more theaters could reach out and do a lot more because unlike the way it was back in the heyday of 2000s or even the late 90s to where movie theaters kind of had a bit of everything, we don't really get that with uh, movie theaters these days. At least here in Colorado, basically we're going to get the same like five or six candies at every single theater, no matter the chain, and that's a bit of a bummer. Um, honestly, that is the top reason why uh, like most people bring snacks into theaters and I do it myself. I feel, I don't feel bad about it because the snacks are expensive these days, but theaters get better snacks and we can go from there. I mean, there's more than just a few candy bars and then uh, nasty ass Twizzlers and everything. There are definitely other options out there, but I'm curious if you didn't take a part in this conversation in the Facebook group, what is your favorite movie theater candy? I need to know this to find out like what's hitting the top. Because again, from the Facebook group, Reese's Pieces were definitely up there, as well as Milk Duds. Those two were seemingly like the high two that folks are really, really liking on the Facebook conversation. So I'm curious for those of y'all not in the Facebook group, hit me in the comments, let me know what movie theater candy are you bringing in or are you buying when you're there? What do you like having when you're watching a scary movie? Make sure to let me know in the comments. So with that, we gotta get into some werewolf madness and we are gonna start this off with 2022, The Cursed. Now, if you recall, some of you might've seen the trailer for this movie here. Um, this movie was originally called Eight for Silver and it had been previewed for a little bit here about being uh, one of the best horror films of the year. The trailer didn't really give much away at all to its credit and its benefit because, you know, with horror films especially, I think we all know that a lot can be given away in the trailer, sometimes too, too much, letting you know any kind of twist or secrets that we're supposed to learn over the course of the movie. But the trailer for The Curse didn't really tell us all that much. Yes, there was going to be some kind of curse. Yes, there was some kind of monster or plague that was uh, just killing citizens in this old school town uh, back uh, in Battle of the Somme, which is, uh, oh man. God, what was that, 1800s there? I don't remember years, y'all. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, maybe the early 1900s. I don't know. Uh, that wasn't really important to the actual story itself. But it is a period piece. And I love that a lot about certain, uh, certain like monster movies in the horror genre because I think that a lot of times, especially in the last like 25 years or so, um, we get a lot of great adaptations of things like vampires and werewolves and zombies and all these things in modern time, which works out great because we're in modern time. So, of course, then we're going to see ourselves in those kind of films. But I do feel that there is something special when we do a dated period piece for uh, for monster movies because uh, those characters don't really have uh, don't have the same means that we do in modern times. You know, we don't have the Internet to look up uh, what we can do about these monsters that are attacking us. We don't have ready access to weaponry or anything like that. It's not easy to get away or travel between like cities and states and things like that. So I find it incredibly interesting whenever we get period uh, period films for monster movies. And that's what this definitely was. The whole setup for this was that um, uh, a land baron named Seamus 
uh, decides that the only way to basically get this piece of land uh, that he believes that he has a right to is to wipe out this uh, this Roma clan, or as they're uh, called sometimes, gypsies, to wipe out this clan, uh, uh, this Roma clan of gypsies, uh, and basically take their land. Now, the problem is, is that this clan does have a rightful claim to the land that they're settled on. So, of course, Seamus is choosing to sack this group of uh, this group of gypsies, basically, to take what he believes is his. And just like it always happens. Um, and, and there's a curse. There is absolutely a curse that gets put upon him and put upon this entire town for their crimes against the uh, this Ro uh, these Roma people. And this is where our movie really takes off, is that we're led to believe that this has something similarly to Dracula 2000, which actually I feel is such a fantastic, un uh, unexpected tie into this. Because I'm not saying they're in the same world in the least bit. But if you recall, in Dracula 2000, the idea was that Dracula was Judas. Dracula is the one who betrayed Jesus Christ. The rope didn't break. And that was the start of vampirism. That's why silver hurts vampires. And it all kind of made sense. Um, eight for silver. Eight for silver. Uh, the curse goes with the same kind of mindset. To where we're not saying that there's some werewolf around that's Judas or anything like that. But the whole curse, where it all comes from is the idea that these 30 pieces of silver uh, were made into uh, werewolf fangs, and those fangs basically have some kind of supernatural curse tied to them that anybody that gets bit by them slowly turns into a creature, and anybody they bit turns into a creature as well. Now, that's not a spoiler. That is werewolf lore. Werewolf bites somebody, and then that person becomes a werewolf. They bite somebody, they become a werewolf. And just like vampires, you know, if you want to stop that, stop that curse, want to stop that disease, you have to kill the original. You have to kill who started this all to begin with. Because if you do that, then everything is good to go at that point. Um, and so I like the fact they put their own little twist on it by adding the connection to Judas and Jesus. That, hey, these 30 pieces of silver are cursed and they've been passed down uh, from people to people to people. And basically the idea is, is that they're used as a measure of revenge. And I like that. I think that's a crazy smart idea, honestly. I think that actually gives, uh, gives Eight for Silver something incredibly new. Uh, something incredibly new to think about and to work with honestly i really think it was a good a good story point for them to bring in now in terms of the actual creatures or werewolves themselves again eight for silver takes a very unique approach to the design of them and the way that the monsters also show up as well too we really don't get to see that much in the way of a transformation which is one of the biggest biggest parts of werewolf movies and werewolf tv shows all werewolf media is that you want to see what the transformation is like i don't like an american werewolf in london but the transformation in an were american werewolf in london is fucking top notch and there's a lot of other werewolf movies out there like that that do the same thing so it is a bit of a bummer that the curse doesn't really give us any good transformation scene they set up what happens to all of the victims, all of the afflicted of this disease, and when that transformation begins to start to occur. But we only really see the beginning process of that. And it, it, it's, it's only a bummer. It doesn't detract from the film, but it's only a bummer because it's kind of cool to compare all these transformations of creatures and werewolves to each other and trying to figure out which one you like the best, which franchise, which movie. I think that's actually a really, really cool thing to be able to do. So that's the only bummer. It doesn't actually take away from this story here at all. 
Um, and it's also not really a mystery. That's uh, one of the more intriguing things about this film as well, too, is that most werewolf movies have one of two, like, two ways they're going to go. One, we don't know who the actual, not master werewolf, but who started this entire problem typically is. And we're kind of playing a cat and mouse game of who did it? Who's actually the werewolf behind all this? We have to kill this person because if we do, all these other werewolves turn back and our lead character or characters are going to be all okay. That's typically option A. Option B is it's actually not this mystery at all. We know that our main character has been bitten by a werewolf and now we're following that character uh, to basically cure themselves. It's not really a mystery. They know who's behind it. And that's the movie is them trying to stop the person that bit them or ultimately stop themselves. Those are really the variety of werewolf movies that we get. And the curse doesn't really go for either one of those because the perspective that we're working with in this film is from uh, most times from the, the eyes of Boyd Hol uh, Holbrook, uh, Holbrook's character, John McBride, who has been brought in to kind of investigate uh, the pathology of this disease that's afflicting this town. And that works extremely well because we really don't need the mystery of this story. We know there are creatures that are out there murdering people. The mystery is not who's actually behind it because we know the reason why this is happening. Because Seamus sacked this land where this Roma clan uh, was residing, this is what caused all of it. So whoever this first werewolf is, this first creature, it's completely irrelevant to the story. And I like that we established that very firmly so we can get away from that and just enjoy uh, the suspense of who's gonna die in this movie. And the death scenes in it, they're, they are bloody. They're bloody for sure. They're not as brutal as they could be, which is kind of uh, kind of interesting for a werewolf movie because usually that's one of the biggest things that they're not these other creatures. They're not vampires, which are all romantic a lot of times in their portrayal of just a bite in the neck and everything. No, werewolves are flesh eaters. So they're definitely ripping people apart. They're tearing people up. And usually these are very, very bloody scenes. And there's a lot of blood in the curse for sure. But... The gore and everything to it isn't as isn't as bad as you might expect. And I think that balance between the two actually really, really good. Because if we're going to get a lot of blood, I don't know if I need to see a million ripped off limbs or, or ripped up bodies and things like that. And those things are present. Um, and even without the werewolves, there's some very brutal, uh, brutal scenes of torture in this movie as well. To things that happened to the Roma clan at the beginning of the film. Uh, so the film strikes a great delicate balance between giving us a lot of blood, but also not giving us an overly gory uh, amount of werewolf killings in it as well, too. Story wise, I think the story itself, the character motivations are definitely strong. Something about it didn't hit the right way. And I, I don't mean that negatively because I still really did enjoy the film. Um, but we learn a lot about John McBride's character that the reason why he's doing all this, the reason why he's so interested in this particular curse is because uh, his family was afflicted by this curse at one point in time as well, too. So there's that personal connection. The other part of this is that Seamus's family, which is uh, portrayed by uh, Kelly Riley, who I know from Eden Lake, y'all might know her from uh, Yellowstone or even True Detective, plays uh, Isabel, his wife. And then their kids as well, too. Um, 
uh, Anne Marie. Uh, no, no, it's uh, Charlotte. Charlotte and oh god, what is the kid's name? Edward. Charlotte and Edward. Uh, we see a lot of the film through the eyes of Seamus's family as well, too. But I think the problem is, is that we don't get enough time with them. And so the narrative seems sometimes a little bit lopsided because it either should have been half and half. We're getting a half John McBride and half of Seamus's family, or we have to commit to one or the other. And the film doesn't really commit necessarily. Like John is definitely set up as our protagonist, but we spend so much time with Isabel and Charlotte as well too, that it's trying to like grapple with who our actual lead character is a lot of times it seems. Um, and to no detriment of the cast, again, Boyd Holbrook does a great job playing this like haunted, uh, haunted doctor who's just trying to find what took something very important away from him and stop it from happening to someone else. Kelly Riley uh, does an amazing job in anything that she's doing, honestly. I, I love her in everything I've seen her in. And again, she's playing the tortured wife who just wants to protect her family, but we're in olden times where women didn't have as big or as strong of a voice as they had a right to have at that point. So a lot of what she's saying is just drowned out by Seamus, of course. Um, so the acting is fantastic in this film. Uh, everybody does a great job with the period atmosphere of the piece as well, too. There's not much really in here in the way of things like jump scares, and there's not much in the way of, um, I don't know, like uh, like traditional scares either. Like I do like the fact that the horror of this piece is from, again, the brutality of the creature and what some of our human characters do to other human characters, but also just from the creature itself, okay? Like, we don't have to have that creature popping out, doing a jump scare to actually scare us or anything. The design on them is a pretty interesting and unique one compared to other werewolf designs that you might have seen in other films and other werewolf media as well. And that's really, I think, where most of the horror in this is coming from, and it does a good job. I think this is something that, for sure, if you could get, uh, you know, get your teenagers into watching, this could be something that kind of scares them a bit. But I don't think most adults are going to have an issue watching this movie. But that being said, it's still a really, really good watch. Um, the thing is, folks, I don't know when it's hitting streaming. I would imagine here in, within the next month, just because it's not playing on too many screens here right now. If you get a chance to go see it in theaters, please support this film. Uh, make sure that it gets the due that it rightfully deserves because a lot of original horror, when we get it, isn't getting supported all right we get a lot of our legacy stuff like scream like Candyman, like chucky that always gets support whenever people need it but original horror we have to support it or we don't get a lot of those stories i am not against giving us 20 sequels in scream 20 nightmare on elm streets 20 friday the 13th but if you want original horror you gotta go and check it out when you can folks see movies like this see movies like studio 666 which i'm desperately trying to see it's out of theaters as well to support original horror so we can get more all right so with that it's time to shift to a completely different werewolf movie that happens to say, uh, share the exact same name minus the folks we are now talking 2005's cursed now if you've heard of this movie there's a good chance you've heard about a lot of the controversy behind this film now 
This movie was originally set up to be released in 2003. It was directed by Wes Craven and written by his longtime collaborative partner, Kevin Williamson. They've worked together on numerous films before, and case in point, Scream. Obviously, that franchise was a big, uh, big thing for the two of them. But one thing that we've talked about before here on the show is that Wes Craven knows horror. That is his thing. He is the master of horror. That's my guy, Kevin Williamson. Uh, Kevin Williamson is is big on being able to write believable dialogue for teenagers. That's one of the things he excels at, is that that man absolutely kills it when it comes to writing for teens. And so another another uh, collaborative effort from them was always going to be looked at as something amazing. It was always going to be fantastic, obviously. And again, um, the thing about this film, it's gone through... A lot of different cast members. It's gone through a lot of different script revisions. It's gone through a lot of different everything. The version that we got in 2005, um, it's unfortunately a flawed film. I still enjoy it. I know that Wes Craven himself, not a fan of it. I know that most people are not big fans of this movie, but I actually feel there is a lot to mine out of what we got in the theatrical version, which they're still good in it. Now, I am still and will always be intrigued by the mythical Craven Cut. Uh, this film, as it came out into theaters, starred um, uh, Christina Ricci, Jesse I uh, Eisenberg, uh, Joshua Jackson as our three leads in the film itself. And in the original version of the film, it was Skeet Ulrich, uh, Christina Ricci, and Jesse Eisenberg as our three leads. And the story was very, very different to where... The original story was about these three uh, three completely disconnected characters. I believe, actually, Christina Ricci and Skeet Ulrich's characters were supposed to be dating, but Jesse Eisenberg's character and Christina Ricci's character were not brother and sister in that version at all. And it was like three different tales of what you're doing with this power of becoming a werewolf and, you know, who embraces it, who hates it, who is an actual curse for, yada, 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 yada. And I don't want to go too far into that because that's a whole story for a completely different time about what makes that original version that's apparently floating around out there script-wise and everything so much more interesting than what we got. But we can only really talk about what y'all get a chance to see as well, too. So rather than go down that rabbit hole, let's talk about the theatrical version of Cursed. Now, story for this one is simple. Uh, brother and sisters... Jesse Eisenberg, brother and sisters. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, but Ellie and Jimmy Myers, played by Christina Ricci and Jesse Eisenberg, are a brother and sister living in Hollywood, California. Um, Christina Ricci work, uh, character works for the uh, Late Show with Craig Kilborn. That's a throwback for y'all when Craig Kilborn had a show, a late night show on TV. Uh, but she works for the Craig Kilborn show. And Jesse Eisenberg's character, Jimmy, is a high school student who is uh, a dweeb, a geek, one of those typical characters who nobody is really caring about in the slightest bit. Um, during a, a car accident that happens one late night where they're trying to save a character played by Shannon Elizabeth, both are attacked by a werewolf. And then we spend the movie basically following them, seeing how each of them are taking in their new circumstances how do they uh, react to these new powers and these new changes in their lives? Not only uh, trying to make sure they're not killing anybody, but at the same time, how does it help them in their prefer uh, professional lives and their personal relationships? And that's cursed in a nutshell. The idea, and I hate calling anything that like Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven do together is that it's Scream, but this. But 
sometimes a lot of uh, sometimes it's just the easiest way to describe a film and i don't know if that really applies here because we're not really dealing with like a group of teenagers or anything like that but what i will say is that this was definitely supposed to be a very meta werewolf movie one thing that werewolf movies in the past you know whatever you're looking at have, have been really good about is that like vampire movies we know the rules like that's the way that those movies always work out is that there's always a legend about a werewolf there's always somebody who knows about a werewolf and somebody can always explain the rules and we get that here in cursed as well too uh portia de rossi's character who plays a fortune teller is actually somebody who knows a lot about what's going on to their uh, these characters and what they're kind of dealing with and um they kind of hammer that in even more these days because of course we are in the 2000s the internet is a thing so it's easy for characters to look this information up and find you know other people online who have been through the same thing and honestly i think that's one of the better uh better traits about this movie is that it doesn't actually te uh, treat us like we're stupid we're not spending a lot of time trying to look up werewolf mythology and everything they don't really go a lot into that background and i don't think we need to because i assume wes craven and kevin williamson kind of looked at it as like look y'all know the way werewolves work you've seen a million of these movies prior to seeing this one we don't really need to go through all of this again we're gonna give you the bare minimum and we're gonna work with that and that allows them to actually focus on telling and actually in my opinion a very interesting story about the dynamics of a werewolf pack and that's something that we don't really get to see a lot there was another film that came out at, uh, later on called skinwalkers that kind of adopted that a little bit as well too but the idea here is that the motivations of our killers are starting their own pack but there can't be competition to that pack at all it's not about hey we got to stop werewolves werewolves are evil oh my god they're like vampires kill them and things like that no it's that the purpose of these killers is that they want to take out any competition to um, their position in this pack of the werewolf there's an alpha there's an omega there's betas all that kind of thing uh, if you've seen you know any of that kind of stuff in previous werewolf movies or mythology and same thing with dogs you know to where there's got to be an alpha and then there's got to be that omega and then nobody else nobody else really matters at that point and this movie tells a very smart story in my opinion about those who might challenge those positions in a werewolf pack and that really actually made me enjoy it a lot more like especially on a recent rewatch to get ready for this review i found myself noticing that more and more i was like oh well, it's not just a bunch of random people dying, which I, I should have given more credit to Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven for that anyway. But it's not just a bunch of random people dying. There's actual meaning behind all of these deaths that are occurring in this movie. Um, and then we combine that with the effects of the werewolf itself, especially when we just looked at The Curse just a few moments ago. The practical effects in The Curse are actually really good. I like the design of the werewolf. I also like the fact that when we see that practical werewolf suit, you know, uh, the, the makeup, everything there with it, um, it looks really cool compared to the very dated CGI. Now, I didn't see this movie back in 2005 when it came out. I remember I, it took me a while to actually catch it. I, I don't think I even saw it till 2007 or 8, I want to say it was. And I really enjoyed it when I saw it in 2007 or 2008. But I do wonder if the CGI of the werewolf would have been a lot cooler had I seen it back when it came out. So anybody that did see it in 2005, let me know in the comments what you thought about the design of the werewolf. Not the practical, but the, you know what I'm talking about, the CGI that they use a lot in the end. I'm curious what you think about that design. Let me know if it was cool in 2005 
or not because now i get it it's super dated but i'm wondering if back then it looked a lot cooler than what it did now in terms of the kills in this movie there's not actually too many of them there are a few um but it is played a bit like a slasher film which again considering our filmmakers behind it it makes a lot of sense that they go that route and because of that the body count is not actually that high which for a werewolf movie that's not necessarily a good thing because we're trying to sell the brutality of this so why this is just such a bad thing that's happening and i think that's going to be one of my biggest complaints about the film is that um we probably needed more kills to sell like how serious this entire situation was and i get it i don't know what's left over from the original version to this new version so i don't know if there were more kills initially that would have made things um would have made things a lot uh uh a lot more interesting and a lot more drawn out who knows but that's the one thing i do feel that was missing from it and another thing that really has to be talked about and only because I actually feel it's quite genius. And considering Kevin Williamson wrote it, Kevin Williamson, uh, and we'll get there, a character by the name of Bo that's played by Milo uh, Ventimiglia from This Is Us, you might know as Jack Pearson, um, is playing uh, one of the antagonists of the film. And I say antagonist, uh, he's not one of the bad guys, but he's set up as a villain earlier on in the film. Um, plays a character named Bo who is very homophobic and he's vid dropping a lot of very much outdated like uh, outdated and offensive like uh, dialogue that you absolutely could not get away with today. But here's the thing about it though. It's it, to me and I say specifically to me because I respect anybody who doesn't have this opinion and they're not down with it in the least bit. I'm not saying that I am, but I also understand now from a uh, 2022 lens what Kevin Williamson maybe was going for here. Kevin Williamson himself is gay and he wrote the script. So the way it came off to me, because the eventual reveal is that uh, Bo is covering for himself and that Bo himself is actually gay. Um, and so it seems very much that part of the reason why Bo is so homophobic and throwing a lot of these slurs out and talking the way he is is because he's hiding things uh, from everybody else, basically. And so the more you kind of throw that out, the less everybody su uh, suspects, which makes a lot of sense, actually. So I wanted to touch on that just really quickly because I actually thought that's one of the more interesting things about Curse is that Kevin Williamson wrote this this character, Bo, who actually I enjoyed quite a lot. And the fact that his homophobia and the way he talks about it makes a lot of sense when that reveal is finally given so just a nice quirk about about the movie that i thought was actually really really cool um beyond that great cast in this film itself um i think it's actually kind of interesting to see a lot of these people before they really really started blowing up especially like jesse eisenberg uh michael rosenbaum uh and even like shannon elizabeth who was kind of at the end of like the horror spectrum which is kind of cool because again shannon elizabeth spent the late 90s and early 2000s being this big horror icon and the fact that she gets to make a cameo in this um and it's kind of like the end of her segueing out of the horror horror genre and everything i thought that was kind of cool as well bowling for soup has a cameo in this film which lets you know how dated it is as well too which i like bowling for soup they're not bad in the least bit but there's a lot to really enjoy i feel about this movie itself it does not all work it definitely does not all work um because as weird as it sounds and i know there's a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this it's only 97 minutes long i say only it's an hour and a half 
I actually feel that another 20 to 25 minutes would have helped this movie a lot. Give us another werewolf attack, but then you have to put Joshua Jackson in the movie more. Not because I necessarily just love Joshua, uh, Joshua Jackson, but the problem with this is that we are playing a bit of a whodunit in this movie, which again makes sense given the filmmaking team behind it, but they make it very easy to figure out who's behind it all. Like there are multiple killers in this movie, but at least one of those killers, we can work out pretty quickly who it is because this person doesn't have a lot of screen time and they're not actually portrayed as with a lot of good like good qualities to them. And if you're going to do that, that's very much setting up who the killer is. And I think that's one of the downsides that if we have more time with Joshua Jackson if maybe we got to see him being attacked and maybe we got to see him dealing with the other killer in the movie, that would really help cover up the fact that he's also one of the bad guys in this movie. Um, and I guess maybe that would have pinpointed a little bit too much who the other killer was, but the problem is, is that there are no other suspects. So like Michael Rosenbaum, for example, who's in the film, I think is thrown in there as a potential red herring. And it's like, no, but he can't be. There's not enough of him in this movie to be a red herring at all, which I guess makes sense considering who the other killer does end up being, that that complaint's a bit moot. But that's one of the issues with the movie that I feel another 20 to 25 minutes could have really helped this out with. With all that, though, I don't actually think it's as bad as it gets a rap for. Is it going to be in anybody's top five or top ten werewolf movies? Probably not. But I also don't think it should be in the bottom of anybody's list because there's still a lot of good elements in this movie, I think, to enjoy. I like, again, the design of the werewolf in the film itself. I think that was actually one of the coolest parts of it. Um, I like giving us different perspectives of how this werewolf curse is afflicting people. So one person's really embracing it and they're really thriving in their life where the other person, you know, is kind of like it's, it's the biggest hindrance on everything that they're doing at that point. And yeah, there's all this sexual tension, but that's, again, such a small part of the film itself. Um, I like that, um, uh, uh, what the heck was I going to say there? Uh, I, again, I liked everything that was going on with Bo in the film. I think that's really, really great characterization to write for somebody, especially in a horror film, when you can go completely in the opposite direction as well, too. Um, I, I like the whodunit aspect of it. I just wish, again, there was more time and more suspects to add to it. But either way, I do think it's worth checking out. Screen Factory is actually releasing uh, it on Blu-ray here, uh, fan finally, uh, in the next few weeks. So that's something that everybody's going to definitely want to jump on as well, too. But gives you some good werewolf horror to start off with, folks. Two films, same name, The Cursed and Cursed. One of them is on streaming right now. The other one should be there within the next month. And that is going to do it for us, y'all. Uh, we got to talk some werewolf horror tonight, and we got to talk some awesome movie theater snacks. Make sure you're back here next week where I'm going to be talking about werewolves within and silver bullet. We're continuing the werewolf madness, y'all. So by the light of the full moon, get to the Facebook group so you can come and watch some scary stuff with us tonight, folks. But that's my time. I'm T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.